Welcome to the Idle Book Club for May 2016. I'm Chris Remo. I'm Sarah Argadale. And on this episode, we are going to be discussing The Man in the High Castle by Philip K. Dick. Uh, first, I want to quickly uh, mention what we're going to be reading uh, this month for the June episode and then also the July episode. So, Sarah, you picked the book for June. What is it? It is called Mr. Fox, and it's by Helen Uyeyemi. It came out in 2011. Okay, and then for July, we're going to be reading The Sympathizer by Viet Tan Nguyen, and those are our next two books, uh, Mr. Fox and then The Sympathizer. So uh, we'll probably mention a couple more things about those at the end of the episode, but uh, if you want to start planning your upcoming reading, there you go. So, The Man in the High Castle by Philip K. Dick. This is uh, an author neither of us had read anything by, which is kind of ridiculous, Mm -hmm. given what an incredibly prolific... Well, I've writer he was. seen a lot of movies that have been based off of his. Yeah, he's had some dozen films, I think, based on his stories. It it when I when we first started reading Man in the High Castle, and I was just reading the Philip K. Dick Wikipedia page. There were a bunch of movies that I had seen that I never knew were based off of. Oh, really, Philip? I you know I can't even remember what they yeah. were, but the ones in addition. Oh, it was Total Recall. Um, I didn't realize it was based off of a Philip K. Dick yeah. story, short story. So that it's shocking how much of an influence that man has had on science fiction films, including a number of science fiction films that I've seen, and I never had read anything by him until very recently. Yeah. So, yeah, no, it's, it's completely uh, incredible. And this book, as I understand it, is one of his best regarded uh pieces as you know a piece of literature um so what did you what did you think of this book what did you make of it so i thought this book was pretty great i was definitely expecting to enjoy it given what it is about i knew going into it that it was this alternative history exploration of the united states if the U.S. had lost World War II and that it contained some kind of sci-fi elements and was written by Philip K. Dick. So all of these factors made me hope that I would enjoy it, and it turned out that I did enjoy it. Yeah, I did too. I thought this book was uh, really fantastic and grounded in a way that was sort of shocking to me. Did you have to take breaks while you were reading it at first? Um, You know, I... Sort of. I had an interesting initial experience with the book where I was so instantly swept up in it in a way that I don't think I quite expected. I was instantly taken by how totally realized this world clearly was really early on. And when you start reading the book, um, you can just sort of get the thrilling aspects of that stuff. You know, the sort of escapist electrifying stuff that is why people often read science fiction in the first place or or uh, you know alternative fiction of whatever sort uh and then there's you know within like the next chapter you suddenly are almost hit by this tsunami of racial tension and um these sort of colonial overtones and um 
the the full weight of what of of all the implications of this world hit you and yeah i i remember f- feeling almost um like buffeted back by it because it was just so horrible and uh and difficult to take and then you know the more of it you read the more you realize this is this is using something that i can feel in that visceral way to communicate something that ex- that has existed in all kinds of places and times including now throughout history you know in all sorts of societies and, and groups and and cultures and that's even more of a, a weight you know I, I don't know i yeah i found I, I did find this book to be um difficult to take at times because of despite a, a fantastical setting well f- fantastical <laughs> feels like an unfair word word to use to describe this because it is a reality that is not our own but what was so hard especially initially for me to take with reading it was the fact that i i found his depiction of this history to be so convincing that yes this is probably what the world would feel like if the outcome of world war ii had gone differently if the access powers had won instead and it's this pull between the horrors of a a nazi regime imagined uh, at full power on a global scale you know there are these hints of what has happened to jewish people to to africa as an entire country to continent sorry oh my god sorry africa as a continent um to african-americans in the united states coupled with this just very banal ability for people for americans who are either in occupied territories or in the neutral zone in, in the rockies to just continue with their lives and to continue to have everyday problems during this insane reality and and the fact that both of those contradictions can exist what both of what do you mean by both of those contradictions that it, it, everything is both intensely exaggerated but also completely normal and like because obviously t- the nazis didn't win and the holocaust was not allowed to come to its like presumed conclusion right like that's not the reality that we live in but in the book that's the reality but also people are just worried about like their ex-wives and confronting that and confronting the fact that if this had happened in this way that there would still be americans who would continue to have everyday worries under this just insane system was kind of horrifying to me um because i realized that that's just true in all cases of mass upheaval in the case of a one country taking over another country like at a macro level it's this 
cataclysmic event, but at a micro level and a person to person level, you know, people still have to go on living in some way. And the fact that those two things happen simultaneously, like it kind of got to me in this very visceral way. Yeah. I mean, look at the British Raj or, you know, I mean, colonialism throughout right. I Africa think it, and Asia. I mean, yeah. I mean, I know that these things exist. I guess it's because America itself. And so me specifically, I've never had to. Right. How it was, you know, I was feeling this horror and then it made me realize, oh, this is just putting this in a context that I right. can sort of directly relate to. But in reality, this happens all the time. Right. That pe- this is yeah. just reality for most people. Um, yeah. Coming to that realization like 20 pages into. Maybe not most people, but for many people. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's a it's a crazy thing. The the I think the most impressive aspect of that is how racial dynamics were handled. Um I think most impressively and also most depressingly through the character of Robert Childen. Uh I found his interactions with the Japanese couple, the Kasoras, and just with his own sense of identity to be extremely distressing and really impressively drawn. I was I was really taken by how fully that character's um, self-regard and sort of wrestling with the world uh, was depicted. Because, you know, like, as you're saying, obviously people get by, they go day to day, they do their things. But also... Clearly, in a lot of cases, um, this sort of subjugation wreaks total havoc on their sense of identity and and their relationship to the people who are above them and and also below them, for that matter. In in a in a hierarchical society, um, I thought the way that he kept sort of talking himself in and out of this. Um, inferiority complex and then this like superiority complex you know with this japanese couple meanwhile they themselves are exhibiting sort of this bourgeois version of racism you know where they're like completely affronted by his racist attitudes towards like black people for instance um but they have this extremely patronizing view of a, a sort of american ethnic art so to speak you know these sort of um history and the sort of the baked potato and steak and and you know the wife talking about oh i went to all the little shops and isn't that what you're supposed to do you know they're they're very affronted by the notion of sort of overt racism but they have this entirely um absorbed uh very um uh patriarchal racism that that is you know, genteel and and well-meaning, but obviously also very belittling. Um, and 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 the, the way that whole thing was drawn from like the top of that scale, you know, the the well-to-do Japanese couple um, to children to the people down further on down lower rungs than he is, you know, the Chinese pedicab driver or uh, African American slaves or whatever. I mean that I, that was so terrifyingly well realized. I. I that that was the hardest part for me to read, probably. Even because though... it was so believable. Yeah, yeah. It was yeah. so... Uh, man. Yeah. Uh, it... 
it's depressing to think that in in a reality where the Japanese just control the Western United States, especially post nineteen forty five. I guess this book is set in. It was written in the in the sixties, yeah. and it was also set in the sixties. Yeah, I think it was set at the essentially at the time. Right, that it was it. written. Yeah, that. I mean, even if that were going on today, those attitudes would probably still be. But, but the, the terrifying same. thing isn't that if that had happened, those attitudes would be. The terrifying thing is that that is, in fact, reality. Yeah. You know, I mean, th- those th- like it's not so. The alternate history part isn't really what's scary about it. Uh, scary is the wrong word, but sort of, um, you know, unsettling. Mm-hmm. Uh, the unsettling part is that is how is thinking. Yes, this is in fact how these things do exert themselves yeah um there's a there's a moment in uh i mean i and i think to this day do right i mean when you look at i don't know the rise of like far-right nationalist parties in europe or potentially even in this country in there's strains of this obviously like bubbling up now um there's here we're actually there's a really good uh there's a good quote about this in the book um from the part of uh, from Togomi, the the Japanese sort of bureau, uh, highly placed bureaucrat working out of San Francisco, who I think is sort of the maybe the only fully honorable character in the novel. I don't know if you would agree with that, but I, he he to me was the sort of um, not the the German defense. Oh, imp- Baines. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he. I suppose. I suppose so. Although we don't get as much of his. Um, not the man in the high castle. Well, who, I, who knows if that's a god person's a good person or not? He's barely a character. Mm-hmm. But but Tagomi is someone we spend a lot of time with, and we understand his sort of moral quandaries, and we, you know, we're with him for his reflections and all the. I mean, he's genuinely trying to. He understands what is wrong with the world that he lives in. And he want he you know I think he would like the world to be a better place and when he's able to take action he tries to um, anyway the the uh, but all that said he's still a, a you know he's he's a product of his society as well and there was something there was a towards the end of the book when he is um, he's contemplating the what is it the Ed Frank. Um, uh, jewelry piece. It's yeah, it's a pin or something. Yeah, and he's um, interrupted by a white policeman who's like, "Oh, what are you doing? You're playing some kind of game there." And he's like, uh, "You know," and he's he's like, "I can't even believe that this man would you know ask me such a thing." And and then uh, he sort of shakes himself out of this racist like fear he's worked himself up to in his mind, and he says. He thinks dreadful, low-class, jingoistic, racist invectives, unworthy of me, and there and that his like self-awareness about this, right? That he sort of is getting carried away into this racial antipathy. Um, the thing that he's describing is, is exactly what Childen fa- falls into. Childen himself, a sort of lower-ranking member of this class, right? I mean, there's this. This book, I think, makes a lot out of the fact that when people are put upon and when people are subjugated, these sort of baser instincts are almost coaxed out of them, you know, because they're trying to find some way to, like, make sense 
of a situation in which they have been robbed of, of power or agency. Uh, and but it's not just this I mean you just gave an example yourself about how it's not just the subjugated people who no it's not but but act in this way and but Tagomi has the sort of position to push it down and be self-aware about this sure and say oh whoops I can't be like that o- with those only lower because class people. he right it's it's not necessarily because he morally had well he feels obligated right because he's in a higher position in society but it's not necessarily because he i mean he still has the capacity to have these thoughts and it's only that he understands his responsibility in the society that he's in to not think that way that he's able to hold himself back where somebody like children is on a low enough rung that he he himself does not have those checks so he doesn't feel like a social obligation to act in a certain way. Well, he does. He feels intense social obligations well, constantly. That's part of what's so interesting to, about that. To act in a non-racist way. So it's... Well, it, no, he feels social obligation to act in the racist way that's been prescribed to him. Right. I'm I'm saying that unlike um, Tagama, who, Tagomi, yeah. Tagomi, who feels obligated by society to dampen those thoughts children feels obligated to increase them and it's just a difference of where they fall on the social ladder but it's clear that both men are are capable of of seeing others as inferior in some way and it's just literally their position in the hierarchy that determines their actions and that is such a (laughs) sad but really honest insight into the way that humans operate. Although I do, th- I do genuinely think Tagomi is sure, but I, reveals himself to be a a genuinely well-meaning person in this story. I don't sure. think I think that I don't think the the book is arguing that people are only and purely a moral product of their circumstances. Although that clearly is a huge influence. Um, I do I do think he is. Well, at least I think we're intended to. Yeah, he's the. I'm not hero, but the the least morally questionable yeah. character in the book, sure. But that it doesn't mean that he himself is free from any of. No, no, I mean nobody is. Sure. Yeah. So it, I, I don't know. Well, um, what did you make of the? Uh... The sort of so the style of this book is very um i would say terse yeah what did you make of just the overall style of the book as literature did i i went back and forth on it i don't know i didn't really notice it um i think this is the kind of book where the the actual words on the page didn't really stick with me on a sentence to sentence mm-hmm. level, but the the plotting and the theming is what really came through. Um, I would be curious to just read more Philip K. Dick yeah. writing to see how his prose changes through the years. Um, but just 
I mean, there's not there was nothing wrong with it, but I personally mm-hmm. didn't find it to be anything stupendous either. I, I, I agree. I feel the same way. Um, there was one, I think, writer sort of writerly trick that I I thought was sort of unsuccessful and I wasn't crazy about, which was at least as I interpret it, and you can tell me if you disagree, the usage of um, clipped English as spoken by both um, Japanese citizens as well as uh, citizens of the Pacific states um, to suggest that these sort of like The English language in those states has been sort of adapted to fit to Japanese linguistic characteristics in such a way to sort of modify the received usage of English to fit the the colonizing group. And and I I was not crazy about that. I found it kind of distracting and like um, kind of cartoonish a little bit. I don't know. Did you have any thoughts on that? I didn't even notice it. Oh, really? How there were like art, all the articles were dropped off. When Japanese speakers. Not just Japanese speakers. But I, did, I didn't. Children speaks that way I, as well. Yeah, I just didn't pick up on that. Oh, so okay. it didn't. Oh, you know, now that you men- have mentioned it, I think I did notice that and it didn't really bother me. Um, hmm. Maybe because that does that wouldn't be surprising to me as something that could potentially be adapted under these circumstances so i guess in a medium like fiction where you can't visually i mean i mean you can describe something but you can't demonstrate just with a visual how the difference between an american living in this reality versus our reality you have to come up with other cues to let the reader know okay like this is even though these people sound American, you know, they're they're not. They're something else. Which people do you mean? Children. People who are living in the Pacific uh-huh. states. And so right. here, here's like a difference in syntax of speech. Yeah. Is yeah. a way to do that. Yeah. I, I, I suppose that's true. I, although Versus, in this case, I, I just didn't. It didn't, sure. didn't buy it. Yeah. It didn't bother me. Yeah, that's fair enough. Um, so a, a more... A much more substantial and significant element of this book is the is the frequent use of divination by way of uh, the Book of Changes. What did you make of that? Well, when we announced that we were going to be reading this book and I was talking about it on Twitter, a bunch of people who had read it before mentioned to me that not only is the I Ching featured heavily in this book and then it turns out that the the book that is within Man in the High Castle, The Grasshopper Lies Heavy, was written using right. the I Ching, is the, the revelation you find out at the end of the book. Um, Philip K. Dick himself also used the I Ching to write <laughs> Man in the High Castle. So yeah. there's like all of these layers. Um, I, I still don't quite understand its significance i was talking to so on the the idle thumbs uh fan community has a slack channel that uh i use (laughs) and there's one dedicated to just talking about books for the book club and some people were mentioning how they couldn't understand why this 
Japanese society would be so reliant on uh, a, a book of Chinese divinations. And, and I couldn't really think of a good reason either, um, mostly because I am incredibly ignorant about th- those cultural relationships. So I, I honestly didn't really know what to make of it at all. I started to, to just think of it in the way that um, the Bible you know, mostly the Old Testament comes out of um, this history and culture that is both related but also separate from modern Christians, and yet modern Christians still rely on the Old Testament for anything, right? And 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 maybe it was that kind of situation where, okay, they're culturally there's this difference and there's possibly even some animosity between the two cultures but because the text is so important for some reason that groups are able to overcome those prejudices but that's about as far as I was able to go like to reason that Mm -hmm. out in my mind well there's the book suggests there was a moment I think I, I actually I don't think I wrote this down, so I, so I, I because I, it, I just didn't think to. Um, there's a moment where one of the Japanese characters, and I, I imagine it was probably Tagomi, but I, think, I yeah. but I'm not sure. I think mentions, I know what you're gonna mention. Yeah, yeah it says something like the ch- the Chinese taught us to, yeah. you know, respect our ancestors, and and there's a suggestion of a thing that it, a thing that it reminded me of, and I think this is apropos given the rest of the the themes of the novel. It reminded me of Americans who, you know, through eminent domain and through warfare, uh, eradicated huge swaths of uh, the native population of North America. Um, Throughout much of the history of the United States, there has been a huge amount of reverence, um, often patronizingly, things like the noble savage and sort of respect for... Um, so-called warrior cultures and things like this. Um, that kind of thing crops up a lot, I think, in in uh, societies that that dominate other societies. And and I don't know if I, you know, I, I'm not prepared to sort of put forth a um, uh, some kind of flowchart for like how this book ended up such a such a consequential part of life in this alternate history. You know, who knows. But from a from a larger thematic sense, I kind of bought it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then even it even further permeating into American culture, you know, people like Childen and Juliana and um, Frank. And oh, that's right, Frank. And then who, whatever the guy's name is who wrote The Grasshopper Lies Heavy. Um, I buy that, too, you know, in the sense that when you look at some of the um, some of the most devout Catholics, for instance, in modern society are for instance like people who were colonized by the spanish you know like there's a way in which often and and for that matter like you look at uh african-american community in the united states and like they're the black church has like a very powerful um place right in that community and like there's often a way in which uh a community that has been um sort of dominated by another community can sort of find its own meaning mm-hmm. in the cultural trappings mm-hmm. uh, and it, of, of that other group. And I, yeah. and, and I don't know, I, I'm not an, you know, I'm not an anthropologist. I don't know 
why exactly those things happen the way they do. But but I bought it in the context of this, in the context of this world. And I and also sorry, I'll wrap this up. But the constant usage of divination and sort of trying to find something. Uh, I I think it was um it was the general whose name I can't recall who mentions to Baines, you know, after Takomi shoots the the uh, the German like thugs basically, you know, and Takomi's struggling with this horrible thing he's done and the and the general says you know he's looking for some external authority in this book and you get the sense the general himself maybe as a military person doesn't actually put as much stock in this thing but he but he understands like oh he's grasping for something and in a world where the entire order of everything has been overthrown it just sort of made sense to me that so many characters were looking to some source of source of of higher truth that they could see as empirical and it's also just an interesting contrast to the way that the german society is depicted in the book Mm, in that they're astoundingly advanced uh technologically like there's that the the jet that gets you from germany to san francisco in 45 minutes and the germans are on mars and meanwhile um the japanese and and america and like from the sounds of it most americans even americans living in non-occupied territories are relying on this mystical source and i wonder if that is an intentional contrast between the two societies so you have the germans with this very scientific philosophy and um this asian western american culture that has a more spiritual way of dealing with the world or maybe that's all just yeah well and and i think to the book's credit that stuff is even then that's those distinctions are fuzzy right like i i love the moment when i I, this i thought the scene where where the where tagomi and haynes and the general sort of are bunkered up baines i'm sorry i keep saying that wrong um where they're bunkered up and they take out the like that i thought that was a great scene for being like the book's kind of one excursion into that sort of those kind of like combat pyrotechnics uh even in that tiny context but anyway I loved the detail that the pistol, that you know, the the weaponry or not pistol, but the weaponry they that the Germans were using was actually Japanese manufactured. You know, like I I I, I thought it was a really good touch that it it's not just like oh the Japanese are sort of less advanced and the Germans are like technologically amazing. Like the Japanese also still manufactured. Oh, these. I thought that was just so that the Germans who are invading the office building could have if they got killed they could have a good cover story as far as. They're not officially sanctioned by the the German government to be storming into that building and trying to mm-hmm. get their fellow countrymen back. Uh, it's like, oh, they have different weapons. They're not. <laughs> that that could be true, although they're all also obviously like not Japanese. Sure, so, but like... re- remember later in the book after uh, the, I mean, they're basically SS right. officers after they, they've been killed and, and the German consulate is saying they're, oh, no, we don't know what's going on. Yeah, yeah, that's, yeah. they're some renegade thug group. I, I thought all those details were just so that they could seed 
the fact that uh, this is not, even though obviously everyone knows what's sure, going on. Sure. Yeah, that, that's plausible that's, deniability. That's, yeah, that's totally reasonable. Yeah. Um, oh, the other thing that is possibly important about the I Ching is that it's it presents a way for characters in the book to discover that their reality is possibly not the correct one without really really stretching the bounds of logic and what is actually possible um i figured that the book would conclude with somebody realizing that this reality was not the correct one but i wasn't sure how that was going to take place like if it was literally going to be mm-hmm. some like well what do you mean by correct like that so in the end of the book juliana is on her way to meet the man in the high castle right the author who has written right this alternative history where the nazis actually didn't win world war ii right which and and then that alternative history actually doesn't line up with like yeah, it's drastically different. Which yeah. was an, an, a hilarious little detail. I yeah, loved how incredibly different it was. So she, but the reader, we as the readers know that not the Nazis didn't win, right? That, yeah, I mean that, more accurately that the Axis powers didn't defeat the Allied powers, but yeah. So I kept thinking, okay, she's on her way to meet this author who has tapped into like the true reality somehow, or a version of. A possible true reality and i was maybe thinking all right is she gonna have this fever dream where she's in like 1962 america but like but that's the correct... exactly what happened to takomi you're describing a thing that actually happened to one of the characters remember takomi is he when he's like in that the the scene where i was just that i was describing with the policeman like he stumbles into the restaurant and it's all white people and they call him Tojo and the, there's a freeway there and oh. none of the pedicabs are there. Like he, he's having the experience you're describing. Oh, is that what, oh, man, I didn't pick up on that. I just, that, that scene where he goes into the diner and, and uh, sees all those white men. I, I just thought that it, that was literally happening and it was just another example of okay even in this society where the japanese have dominated western america americans are still capable of being like no 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 oh because, shit because also all the cars were different there was this huge freeway overpass that didn't oh my exist God. in his reality that's why he sends the kids and he says hey i'll give you a dime or 20 cents if you tell me are there any pedicabs down on the street because he was just there and it was just these like huge American 60s uh, massive automobiles mm-hmm. these like big gas guzzlers and uh, oh wow I feel really dumb for not picking up on that but yeah I, I didn't realize that that's what was I guess that makes sense though because he had this moment of the sort of authentic viewing the, this like authentic American object right by the way I love this is so tiny but I love the reference to all that stuff as like authentic American ethnic artifacts like the idea of american as as an ethnicity is such a fascinating like good detail anyway um well so i guess i was expecting juliana to have a more explicit version of that right but instead it's just revealed through asking the i ching uh the fact that this reality is possibly not the 
correct one. And, and I guess that's another reason to have this prophetic book included in the story so that characters mm-hmm. can ask it these i mean i guess it's exactly what you were saying before about having this external validation when external v- validation is not actually possible but here's the illusion of it in some way so part of the re- part of the reason i when you when you first said the sort of the correct reality and i said well what is the correct reality part of the reason i say that is because i think one of the one of the themes of the book and as i understand it of of Philip K. Dick's work generally, although, you know, neither of us having read any of it, I can't comment on it in any, uh, with any authority. But certainly part of the message of this book seemed to me that the notion of sort of what reality is correct or authentic is itself something that is sort of impossible to determine and may not even have any meaning, right? Like the the entire subplot about... um, which is, I mean, which the first third or so of the book is actually hugely concerned with um, historical artifacts and historicity. The, the notion that there's this entire industry that, you know, this incredibly important industry, um, especially in the Pacific states, around selling authentic Civil War era Americana and, you know, 20s era and everything else. Um, that actually, even that itself is totally built on a, a fabrication and you know uh, mm-hmm. essentially a, a gray market um and so even the slice of this world in this economy in which people are the most obsessed and most concerned with awesome authenticity and history and reality is is basically predicated on bullshit and i i thought that was i thought that was that tied in really well to the notion that this that this that this document of an alternative reality is itself so hugely different from what we you know the readers understand to be our reality, and it makes me it makes me think that 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 even in the even in the context of this sort of fictional setting, there isn't like a definitive mm-hmm. truth. Um, Plus, it leads to possibly the most comic seen in the story where Haynes or Haynes or Baines now I'm <laughs> forgetting what his actual well and that's not even his real name so right, the German spy is his actual name. that I can remember uh when the gift that he's presented when he arrives in San Francisco is a, a Mickey watch so he doesn't understand yeah, yeah. and he, his reaction <laughs> is just like oh what the fuck is this yeah yeah um man um speaking of speaking of the the um alternate alternate reality i really appreciated how carefully it was constructed um the the detail that you know the the fictional author i mean really philip k dick went to in constructing this like oh what if what if the allied powers did win the war which you know is what happened in our world but like tracing that back even further i thought was really great because through it we learn that um uh, President Roosevelt, FDR, was assassinated, and I looked up that detail and found this fact that I had <laughs> probably read on the exact same Wikipedia page years ago and forgotten, which was that FDR was probably supposed to be assassinated by a guy who instead shot the uh, the mayor of Chicago, but many people speculate he was actually aiming 
for FDR, who was right next to him. Uh, and so, you know, in our reality, like that didn't happen. And FDR obviously like steered this country l- largely through World War Two. And I, I love the idea that in the book, this tiny thing happens a different way. So FDR is killed. And then in unimagining that imagination, it spins out in a completely different direction. I think that's just a really... I, I was just really impressed with all of those all of those little details. Um, I, I don't I don't know. I guess I don't have a point to make necessarily, but uh, but I, I really 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 enjoyed how slowly and carefully that stuff was seeded throughout the novel. Yeah, uh, as far as alternative histories go, I mean, I guess there are two alternative histories contained yeah, exactly, within yeah, yeah. this this story, and they're both completely convincing um and just like i i guess that what is appealing about this to people is that you could have infinite speculations on what if this tiny thing had changed how would that what would the domino effect what's the chaos theory behind right uh fdr being assassinated and and that ties into the the i ching stuff Mm-hmm. You know, where everything is this tiny right. little, just like, what if the wind had blown the, right. you know, the where thing your that, straws yeah. land? Yeah, yeah. yeah, it's it's really great. Um, it's it's funny. Re- it's, oh, go ahead. What? Well, what were you gonna say? Oh, I was just gonna say, like to that point, um, there are throughout the book we occasionally get little glimpses of characters who are skeptical of i think unconsciously skeptical of this method that they're using to govern their lives like there, there's a there's a point at which uh frank frank he's you know trying to figure out like what should he do next should he go on this business venture with his you know colleague and and this and that and he does he just doesn't understand what the book is trying to reveal to him and then he's then he sort of observes you know, later on, you can, you know, after it's happened, you can look back and see exactly what it meant. And then it makes perfect sense, which is it's kind of an acknowledgement that like all of these claims and all of these divinations and all of these proclamations are really it's it's really still all just how you how any given person is interpreting them. And I, I really like that he can simultaneously hold that notion in his head that like oh well yeah you look back on it later and then it makes perfect sense but that doesn't decrease his reliance on it it's it's almost like he knows it's not doesn't necessarily have true empirical knowledge but he still needs something to 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 grab onto and to push him forward i guess that's what makes this book so good to me is that okay so you have this idea all right what if the nazis won what if the axis power okay but like specifically the nazis right because they are so unquestioningly this like almost demonic or actually demonic presence right so like speculating that and then thinking all right what horrors would they be able to continue given dominance right which this book kind of has um but it doesn't go into it in a sensationalist way like i could easily imagine a version of this book where it's just like oh 
okay, the Nazis control all of Europe and most of America, and here's the list of atrocities, and, like, in detail, here's everything Mm -hmm. that they've done. Like, just, oh, my God, can you imagine how horrible this existence would be? But that's not really what the book... Like, this book could still work if the reality was that, oh, okay, the Nazis still lost, right? Like, the important thing is the meditation on how individuals and people collectively explain and understand their realities and not so much like a fun like gripping oh nazis are going (laughs) to mars no but but you know what i mean like there there is a cheesy version of this story oh yeah for sure and it is so gratifying to to read a book that doesn't what's the what's the word it's not manipulative in that way right in fact um anytime it it got started to get explicit about the atrocities that the nazis were committing like that actually kind of detracted um from enjoying the book to me because i think the power comes in not like being horrified at things that could have possibly happened but just more understanding how people themselves are understanding the world well so yeah an interesting i think that's that's a good point i think an interesting thing about that is that that's kind i mean during world war ii itself there were a lot of people who did not i mean obviously most people did not know the scale of what the nazis were doing and if they and it would have seemed like something that was cartoonish and outrageous and impossible and i mean to this day there are still people who deny the scale of the holocaust right and so like the the book kind of has to you know the book has to at least suggest at one-upping that in an in an outlandish way to even get close to the effect that the actual real history had relative to what anyone would have understood as like civilization you know, you know what, prior to that. You know that was making me think as I was reading it is like they have these scenes where it's the the book is talking about how Africa has something horrible. We yeah, never find yeah. out exactly what it is, right? But something horrible has right. happened to everyone in Africa. And at first when I read that I was like, okay, an entire continent of people like and then I was realizing, well, <laughs> that's kind of what you can ex- how you can explain modern Africa and, and what a, a lot of Western countries. Yeah, well, and North America as well, right? I mean, like, and the book makes reference to that in an amazing way when uh, there's, um, like, we get this whole history. There's, like, there's a point in the book um, very early on when we get this just huge recounting of German racial subjugation in just, it's like mechanized brutality. And then there's this mention, you know, it had taken about, it's on the other hand, it had taken about 200 years to dispose of the American Aborigines. And it's like, oh my God, like yeah, that, I mean, it's, it's a terrible thing to put into perspective. Right. Yeah. It's, it's so, it's like, oh, okay. You read this book and, and at first you think, wow, this reality is so different from the one that I'm living in. And then you realize, oh, actually, it's it's not that different from the one that I'm living in, including the part where I, I, I forget which character it is, but some character points out that the 
Germans advanced throughout space is a distraction from what's happening at home. Like we were advancing in technology in, in this way. And, and I know that like currently the United States is not colonizing Mars, but no, we're sort of in the opposite situation at the but, moment. But we definitely are living in in a world where we kind of distract ourselves with technological oh, progress to stand mm-hmm. in for just social progress. And, and so Dick didn't exactly like write, okay, it's going to be iPhones instead of living on Mars. But like the... No, the I mean, that, that was like Aldous Huxley, right? Brave New World. Sure. But yeah. the, the idea is the same, right? That it's it's some kind of progress is then substituted in for all kinds of progress. And, yeah. and seeing that also, oh, this book from 1962 is still so sadly relevant to the world that I currently live in. Although the crucial difference is that our world or and the world of, you know, for instance, Brave New World, it, that's like personal technical distraction, right? Like the reason they're so seductive as in our life is because we can ourselves contain them. Whereas in the Germany of um, the men in the high castle, it's this sort of like government scale pyrotechnics that allows people who have enough distance away from it to be like these clowns like what are they like you know i i I kind of appreciate how much um of germany's like crazy sort of cowboy escapades are seen as being like extraordinarily wasteful and crazy and ridiculous and you know because we never see into the actual citizenry of Germany. Like, to your point, like, that's what you were saying earlier. Like, that's a thing that's amazing, and I think really effective and powerful about this novel, that it takes place largely in the uh, Japanese-occupied... I mean, only. It's only in San Francisco or in... Or in the Rocky Mountains. The Rockies, yeah. 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 Um, and so we we see all that stuff secondhand through the eyes of you know, either Americans who are subject to all this stuff or the Japanese who you get the sense are a little more grounded mm-hmm. and are, are, especially by the end of the book, when they learn what is probably going to happen, like completely, you know, like what the hell have we, you know, gotten ourselves into? Um, but I but I love that that stuff is, you know, because you're right. If if we, if the book had, had spent most of its energies, like describing all of these crazy um, advancements in detail, you run the risk of it turning into sort of um, a fetishized, mm-hmm. like, That's view the word, of, right? A, yeah. a fetish of just atrocity, basically. Yeah. And you never get that. And no. I, I was reading that, um, actually, so the the book, I guess, came from the character of Tagomi. That was the character Philip K. Dick first imagined, and he just started writing the book just when he thought of that character. But, and, but, but, but on top of that, he tried several times to write a sequel to this book because he was dissatisfied with where he concluded it and essentially repeatedly failed because he found it so incredibly depressing and difficult to continue working in this uh putting his head in this like nazi sort of um Mm -hmm. mindset to try and, and and like spin this stuff out he just found having to keep researching the third reich to be just such a, a demoralizing right. exercise. And you don't really need to have a sequel to this no, book. No, you it, don't. it achieves Although I'm not I was not crazy about the ending personally. I I knew going into it that it that the ending not unsatisfying, but that that he had wanted to write a sequel 
to it. So okay. I, I knew to I expect yeah. some Until kind later. of uh, deflating moment. So I was completely fine with it just because at that point, all right, you, you've achieved demonstrating the themes that you want to demonstrate. So for me, the ending is like, okay, whatever. I don't need yeah. it to be this. And I, don't, I honestly don't, like, what would have been a better ending that... Oh, I don't know. I don't care. Anything? To, 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 no. sp- you don't want to speculate on the alternative history where Man in the High Castle maybe has a more satisfying ending? <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm not going to write that all, all Let's control, consult I, the I Ching and see. I also don't even know if I didn't like the ending, honestly, because I... Uh, given my just i mean this is not surprising to anyone who knows my taste i suppose but i prefer interpreting the events of the ending and by that i'm including um tagomi's sort of like you could interpret it as either a hallucination or sort of a momentary sort of step into an alternate dimension i i would interpret it more as a hallucination um that and the you know, the literal ending of the, the actual final pages of the book. I just prefer, I would, I prefer to interpret those things as um, not suggestive of anything supernatural or sort of like, I, I, I think the book made such a convincing case for the subjectivity of reality and the kind of lack of any kind of cosmic correctness you know, like in in the sense that all of the different alternate alternate alternatives, yeah, our own or the one in the book or the one in the book in the book, all have so many. None of them like portray everything well. You know, everything is like ha- everything is is very gray, no matter what. And so, to me, the you know, Juliana and the I can never remember ha- the author's name Hawthorne. Hawthorne. There you go, Juliana. Uh, Frank and Hawthorne, um, they're telling themselves what they sort of deep down want to tell themselves. You know, I don't think they're hitting on something that's any more truly true than any other of the realities that that are inferred or present in the novel. And similarly, I, I interpret Tagomi's um, weird episode as, you know, a, a, a moment brought on by his kind of like desperate extremely strong desire to like understand some supposed truth of this like trinket that he has and 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 try you know reckon with this horrible sort of act that he's committed in this world that he's a part of and not as like oh he's actually glimpsed an alternate you know dimension or something um so but but i don't really know what dick intended any of those things to be or what how other people have interpreted them What did you make of Juliana as a character? So she's the only major character who we ever like get a POV from who's a, a woman in right. in the story and I don't know. I I didn't really quite know what to make of her character. Did did you have any strong thoughts about her? No, not really. I'd be more interested to hear your opinion. <laughs> My like a- attempt to to not have an opinion before. <laughs> I I guess it it was fine, but there's something about all right. She's the ex-wife of uh, 
Frank. Right. And she's living in Colorado, which is the, the neutral zone of the United States. And she's a judo instructor. Is that what she's some kind of martial arts mm-hmm. lady? And she gets uh, caught up with this man who she thinks is Italian. And then he turns out to be a, a German who's sent to assassinate Hawthorne, et cetera, et cetera. And there's this scene where he's buying her all of these clothes and she's just getting this makeover and i thought what is going on like i don't know there it it wasn't um there wasn't really anything objectionable about it it just was kind of bizarre to me i didn't understand the significance that it played in the story and i'm sure that there's something important about the fact that it's a woman who gets to meet the author of this book that all these characters have been talking about. And she's the, it's a woman who is given the definitive answer about other realities existing that are, are different from her own. If you choose to interpret it as a definitive answer about that, which I do not. Well, sure. Like the I Ching tells her, but um, I don't know. I don't, I just didn't really know what to make of it. It's not that it, it made me uncomfortable or anything. It just, I, I was always baffled by what her character was supposed to represent in the story. And you, you have uh, her character contrasted with the um, wife of the young Japanese man that... Betty, yeah. Um, who is even... She, sorry, who is this completely passive character? Well, sort of. I don't know. I- passive in that we never are treated to anything from her perspective. Um, that's true, although we're also not treat, really treated to anything from Paul's perspective. Those characters are both largely interpreted through uh, the lens of children. Sure. Um, but I, I, Betty is not a full, fully expressed character. That's definitely true. Although we do, in her interactions with Paul and uh, children, I think we do get a peek into their marital, marital dynamic and you get the sense that they have healthy discussions frequently and she is not afraid to kind of voice her own opinions about things um which that it, that it's a fairly low bar right for a character in a book obviously um but i didn't i didn't take her to be like just the sort of shrinking passive wife sure personally yeah hmm i guess with juliana i kept expecting her status as the ex-wife to another character to to be significant in some way you know she's frank's f ex-wife we know that he is um jewish but is hiding that fact because if, right. it, if it were known he would be killed and so okay we have these elements of these characters and and you can just imagine all right at some point in the story this is going to have an effect and, and it almost does like he gets captured by the germans and you think like okay something is like this is gonna pay off in some way Mm -hmm. and then it just kind of doesn't and i i can't tell if that's just all right he didn't that philip k dick didn't necessarily know how to wrap up the ending to the book so he just kind of ends it or if or if he did know the ending and the fact that those plot points don't pay off in a way that you would naturally expect them to is just more evidence of the way that we as humans expect 
some kind of sense from the world and we're completely denied it. So I don't know if it was a smart move or if it was just like <laughs> yeah. uh, a confused move, but I guess that that was part of my confusion with with what that character was supposed to be like it felt like she was supposed to be significant in some way and then she never really was significant in the ways that i was expecting yeah that's fair i um i don't mind there not being sort of specific narrative um momentum and conclusion to those lines because i don't I, i just don't really care i guess about that in general but i did think that the sort of rocky that whole the whole rocky mountain kind of um thread was a lot just just a lot weaker i mean the um everything going on in the pacific just had so many more fascinating dynamics with respect to history and race and society mm-hmm. and politics and yeah. everything else and so when every time we cut back classic west coaster who's saying it's so much interesting <laughs> not only that but san francisco right <laughs> yeah. um yeah i part of that i also think i just wasn't i um i i don't know what to make of the joe um whatever his name is the german assassin yeah he he has such the, because part of part of why that character is frustrating to me is because i loved his um seething frustrated expression of um this sort of noble ideal of italian fascism and that the way he expressed it felt so honest to me in terms of a character who is trying to keep himself at bay but also like can't help but express this worldview that to him is everything because that's all these characters in this book essentially are that right as our people in the world and then that being a front was i was hard for me to buy like man i I don't know if I buy that, right? Because he's described as having an accent and everything else. And like, that just seems like a little too much for me to swallow. And just from a purely mechanical standpoint, yeah. I didn't, I, I just, it felt like a, a little too much. Mm-hmm. And so that, that whole plot line was a little soured for me. Um, as for Juliana, yeah, I don't, I don't know. There was one thing I really, really did like though. You know, you were saying you were expecting her status as an ex-wife of another character in the novel to, to be of consequence. I could be reading into this, and I don't know if this is actually anything or if it's just me grasping at straws, but I have a memory of like three different times during her story, her having a need a need or for some kind of like for jewelry, or in one case she needs like a pin. There's like numerous. Yeah. I, she keeps making right. reference to this. and. We know mm-hmm. that Frank desperately wants to send her right. some of this jewelry. And there's this almost cosmic, like, completely brick-walled connection that I thought was really great. That, that's what I mean when I kept... That's another example of something that I kept expecting to, like, to lead somewhere. And the fact that it didn't lead to a scene where he is able to deliver her mm-hmm. a piece of jewelry. I, I, I honestly... Oh, I love that. Cannot... Well, okay... Fine, but the thing that confuses me is I can't tell again if that was intentional or if it was just right. Like I don't know if it was intentional either, but I don't think it matters if it is. I thought it was effective in the context of the book. Sure, but it's it's hard when you're reading something and and you you don't know if if the author is actually being really clever with the way that they're writing or. But why if, does that matter? 
Um, I don't know. I guess because intention matters to me. This book is successful in identifying the fact that not only do we as humans not have control over our reality, but we also lack the capacity to fully comprehend it, right? And okay, fine, the book achieves that. But I I guess the, the very human response for me to have is to want to know whether or not Philip K. Dick is doing this consciously or unconsciously like i want satisfaction yeah yeah i guess this is the thing we frequently disagree on this but haven't you ever read author interviews where authors talk about readers pointing out to them some brilliant connection in the book and the reader being so amazed by it and the author saying oh you know i never thought of that before actually i just today was reading an interview with uh don DeLeo, who wait i'm saying his last name wrong how do you say it I've always assumed it's Don DeLillo. So this is what it looks the like. man who wrote Libra uh, has a new book out. And so he was giving this interview and the interviewer was making this connection between uh, a book that he had written 20 years ago and, and the, the new book and DeLillo couldn't even remember any of the, <laughs> he, you know, he said, oh, lots of people have pointed out that similarity to me, I don't even remember what I wrote about in that book 20 or 30 years ago. And I thought that was so, like, to see it so explicitly said by mm-hmm. an author. But of course that that must... It happens all the time. I yeah. see movies like that all the time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I, I think that, but I think part of the whole point of the thing, though, right, is that with the I Ching and with all, you know, with all these themes in the novel is that we humans in our interpretations are the ones who draw those lines. Right. You know, it's all really And I just want those us. lines to be drawn, goddamn. <laughs> well, you want them to be manufactured for them. So when you draw No, I just want to you know can if... peek behind the curtain and say, haha, this line is I just want to know if Philip K. Dick is actually as smart as I think he is. Which I mean, he probably is. Obviously pretty okay, smart, right? Yeah. I mean, is that all one right. detail gonna okay. Let's... collapse the house of cards for you? <laughs> all right. We've talked about this book a lot at all this right. point. You wanna wrap it up? Um do you wanna talk at all about the Yiddish policeman's union? I, I, if you do, if you're saying that because you do, then go ahead. Well, so I was reading the, the forums, the forum posts for this book and there, as always was a lot of, there were a lot of good comments about it. And if you go to idlethumbs.net, click the forums link in the top right. And then there's a, there's a forum for the Idle Book Club if you want to find the discussion of this book or any other books we read. Um, and somebody had pointed out that, uh, Man in the High Castle was reminding them of the Yiddish Policeman's Union, which is written by a book written by Michael Shabon that also deals with this alternate history where uh, Jewish people, instead of re- relocating to Israel, are relocated to Alaska, which also apparently was a real that thing. Was like a proposal, right? right, that yeah. was being considered at the time. And so. Um, it's funny because I had just read Yiddish Policeman's Union like only a couple of months ago and was definitely mm, right. thinking about that book a lot as I was uh, reading Man in the High Castle. And I don't know, I just thought maybe I, we I could read have that book when it, when it came out. So you don't remember. So, yeah, I remember the broad strokes. Sure. But yeah, although, you know, having you bringing it up actually sort of. I read this book even longer ago, but uh, it, it, in a way, almost reminds me also of um, 
what the amazing adventures of cavalier and clay which was uh also an earlier novel by michael shaban and that book is so much suffused with this sense of cultural nostalgia as personal identity Mm -hmm. you know i thought that book was amazing i thought that book was incredible and so much of the man in the high castle is suffused with that yeah you know like um the characters in uh in cavalier and clay are also jewish right and you i guess the difference is that michael shabon in his novels is explicitly concerned with jewish identity and how it is affected like concretely affected right whereas phil k dick doesn't seem to have that same obsession uh like shabon is a micro level and Philip K. Dick is at a, a, a macro level of looking yeah, at, at, at how things explode out of World War II. But um, I don't know. that there It's just an interesting relationship. And also Yiddish Policeman's Union is another really good book yeah, no, that people good. should read. For sure. Um, do we want to talk about the TV show at all? Should we mention oh, it? Oh, we can mention it. Yeah, we when the, when the Amazon pilot of the adaptation television adaptation of the man in the high castle came out we watched some of it half of it yeah half of the pilot pilot and didn't didn't really but it was the reason why we picked this book it was yeah i i i I, it just didn't connect with that material didn't connect with me but it made me think huh i wonder what the the source material of this is like and it turns out it's incredibly different in in terms of its premise but um yeah that's 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 why we that's kind of why we wanted to read this yeah it i guess that's probably, it seems to be a common theme with Philip K. Dick's writing where the adaptations use the trappings but miss the... Well, they, they use the blow your mind part, right? right. <laughs> I think like, Philip K. Dick like is sort of renowned as like, Nazi blow your mind. fetishism right. uh, of the, the, the TV show or just... It's it's all like obsession with the worlds that he's created, but but no um, attention to the actual themes that he's wrestling with. Which right, which bearing in mind we're not, we're no scholars of Dick and have not read much of his work, but sure. but yeah, I think that um, that seemed to be true in this adaptation. I don't know. I we didn't watch any more than half an episode, so yeah. who's, to, who's to say where it goes? But. Um, uh, you know, at least it inspired us to read this book, mm-hmm. which I'm very glad we did. Mm-hmm. I thought it was great. Me there's so too. much. There's so much more. I know I we didn't even about talk book, about but... San Francisco at all <laughs> That's specifically. True. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I there's so much more to say about this book. I, that was actually th- this is the last thing I'll say about it. I suppose to short to like serve as a substitute for talking about any of the actual other stuff that we could be talking about. Um, in contrast to you know the last few books we've read. It was really crazy to read something. And I think you sort of alluded to this when you were talking about the literary style. Um, it was crazy to read something that is so weighted towards ideas as opposed to um, characters. I mean, there obviously there are characters in the book. And I think in a lot of cases, especially I would say Tagomi and Childen, um, I thought those characters were absolutely brilliant characters from a literary standpoint. Other than that, I would say the characters in this book were, you know largely vessels for ideas and it's been a while since i read something where such a high percentage of it 
is just like ideas, ideas, and ideas. And I don't mean just like throwaway ideas. I mean like really seriously considered ideas about our world. And it it was just, that's so different than the stuff we've been reading, right? Which is much more sort of domestic drama kind of stuff for the most part. Um, And that, you know, as a result of that, that's the reason I have so many more notes and could keep talking about other stuff is because there's just so much to unpack in terms of the, the density and depth of the ideas present in this book. And I, I very, I was very, very, very impressed by that. So I liked it. I would want to, we will not have this conversation now, uh, but I would want to defend the other books that we've read for this podcast. Not a, that's not an attack and on the books. Sure. But I, I would say that fates and furies could arguably fit into, uh, and, and in fact, never let me go. Also, um, those are ideas books, but the, I would say those books are going are teasing out a couple core ideas over the entire book, which this one is as well. But the, the there was just a density of just like you could write an entire book about just the nostalgia elements of sure. this, even aside from like yeah. alternate history or anything else. There were just so many different things that yeah. he was delving into. Uh, uh, I'm by no means a scholar of uh, science fiction genre fiction but it it kind of struck me that man in the high castle could only have emerged from a certain era of of writing i in in my experience right like books explicitly like this um i don't they don't seem to fit in the modern world i could be wrong yeah i don't know if you i mean yeah if you if you're listening to this and and you are more of a of a of a devotee of of uh, of this sort of genre, I suppose, let us know um, yeah. ab- about that. You can write into uh, books at idlethumbs dot net, and um, yeah, that'll be that'll be interesting to read. Um, also, the forums are great. I know we I said that already, but there really has been great discussion about everything we've read mm-hmm. so far. Yeah, uh, it's really it's really really impressive. I'm I've never. I never cease to be impressed. So idlethumbs.net, click the forums link. There's an auto book club sub forum on there. Cool. Do you want to remind everyone of the books that oh, yeah. we'll be reading? So for the June podcast, we are reading Mr. Fox by Helen Uyeyemi. Do you want to spell that? Her last name? Sure. It's O-Y-E-Y-E-M-I. And what is what is that? What's that book in in just the barest premise? Uh, it is a book about narratives and fairy tales and how we tell stories. But it's fiction. It's, it's fi- fiction. sure it's fiction, but it, uh, those are what it's about. Those things. <laughs> All right. Read the book and find out. Okay. Um, so, in the following month, so the for the episode that we release. In early July, we're going to be reading The Sympathizer by Viet Tan Nguyen, and uh, that's N-G-U-Y-E-N, uh, Vietnamese name. And um, this is a book that I that I heard about that was, uh, I think, is now out in paperback. Yes. I, I'd wanted to read this for a while, and I wanted to wait till it was out in paperback. But as I understand it, this is a sort of slightly... Um, like comedic uh, or satirical take on uh, on the Vietnam War, and I've heard from what I've heard, it is 
an extremely entertaining and captivating read that has a lot of um, sort of dark humor in it. And yeah. I'm looking well, forward I to think it. it won the Pulitzer this year. Yeah, that's so. true. So there you go. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, thank you for joining us on for another episode of the Idle Book Club. This has been really fun. I'm really glad we read that book. Um, and I'm looking forward to what we're reading next. So uh, you can find us on the internet uh, at idlethumbs.net. And if you click on shows, we're on there along with all the other shows on our on our network. And uh, you can find us on Twitter. If you go to twitter.com slash idlebookclub, you can email us at books at idlethumbs.net. Um, we've got our forums, as I mentioned, at idlethumbs.net, if you click the forums link. And um, that's that. Thank you for joining us. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Bye.